Blog Talk Radio. My name is Everett Sands. I'm the friends. I'm the friends. I'm the friends. My name is Everett Sands. I'm the friends. I'm the friends. My name is Everett Sands. I'm the president and founder of the West Foundation. West, 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 West Foundation. West, Foundation. West, what is West? West, 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 Working people success. What we want, we want, we want to do is we want to impart on these young people that we have opportunity to, uh, to coach, coach, coach. That you got to work every day. Got to work every day to be successful. You can't take any days. You can't take any days off. Even when you don't feel like getting it done, you got to get out there and do it. Hey, how's everybody doing? This is Everett Sands with the West Foundation Sports Talk Show. It is Tuesday, April 27th. You know, all of a sudden you blink your eyes, and we're at the end of the fourth month of the year. Where does time go? Hey, as always, I love just talking a little bit about the West Foundation and who we are. Um, the West Foundation got started in 2017. West actually stands for Working Equal Success. And our goal is to help kids to understand that they can be successful without being a professional athlete. Now, we want them to chase that goal because I believe there is so much. I mean, and I'm going to emphasize, there is so much that can be learned from chasing that dream. But it's also important to understand that one day your sports career is going to be over. It might be when you finish high school. For some, it's going to be when they finish college. For others, they're going to get an opportunity to play a cup of coffee in the league. For others, they might get 10 years in the league. But regardless, it's going to end at some time. And what we want to do is help these young people put some things on their tool belt that will help them be successful whenever their sport ends. Our big event, which will be June 26th, mark your calendars, June 26th, is going to be for rising third to eighth graders. We're going to have a free football and cheerleading camp. And one of the things that makes our camp different is we're going to have guys that played for me at my various stops come in to be the coaches. There will also be some guys that I played with, but most of the guys will be guys that played for me. So now these young people are going to get an opportunity to have another vision of success. They get an opportunity to see some young men that some of them had an opportunity to play on the next level. But all of them have gone professional in something. They're, they're successful young people, and all of a sudden they can say, hey, I saw him play in Johnson Hagen, or I saw him play at Williams Bryce. Or I went up to North Carolina State in Raleigh and saw him play. Or I was down at Coastal Carolina and saw him play there. And now they get an opportunity to interact with these kids, which I think is great. 
And the good thing on the coaches' side, the coaches love it. So they get opportunity to give back and to go on and pour into these young people as well. Um, also, one of the other things that we do is we work on some different life skills. The one that I, I love preaching about the most is financial literacy because I believe regardless if you're making $30,000 a year or you're making $30 million a year, if you're not financially literate, at the end of the month, you're going to be wondering where all your money went. So financial literacy is so important, and we cover a lot of aspects of financial literacy, from credit to budget to investing and investing in the stock market, investing in mutual funds, uh, investing in real estate, and, of course, nowadays crypto is another thing that we have, we have spoken about a couple of times. Um, we also talk about overall nutrition, and not only nutrition, but mental health. That's also something that's very important. Uh, we actually had a somebody on a couple of weeks ago that talked about some different things of, of the mental aspect of dealing with not playing your sport anymore. And for some people, that's a real deal. Um, so mental, mental wellness, mental health is something else that we talk about. We like getting into character, leadership. One that we're going to hit on today is interacting with police officers. And right now that is a huge deal because we've had so many incidents since the verdict on last Tuesday. Um, so we're going to do a lot to help these kids be in position to be successful, and that's what we want to do. We want to help them be in position to be successful. Again, we can't make them do anything. Um, as they say, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. But our goal is to make them thirsty, to make them want to drink, them want to be successful, to make them understand that I don't have to be a professional athlete to be successful. And we believe if that happens, if they understand that they can be successful, regardless of the circumstances, then We've done our job, and that's what we want to do. Uh, our thought of the day, speaking of success, is what is the first step of success? You know, a, a lot of times um, when I have opportunities to speak to small groups, I talk about success. And, and I ask, what are some things that are going to help you be successful, or, or, or what's that key to being successful? And you hear a lot of good things like hard work, work ethic, perseverance, um, and things of that sort. But I believe the first step of being successful is to choose to be successful. Now, see, a lot of people say they want to be successful, but they haven't really made that choice. Because when you make that choice, then you're not going to allow any obstacles to get in your way. you got to make that choice, and then everything else is just a stumbling block. It's an opportunity to learn. That's all that is. It's an opportunity to learn. Uh, I got to have in that mindset that I'm going to be successful, and this right here is just something that I'm learning from. Okay, boom. I know there's a reason God's got this in front of me. I don't know what it is right now, but I'm going to learn from this, and I'm going to drive on. You know, one of the things that I read from John Maxwell, he said, to a large degree in life, you get what you expect, not always, but most of the time. So why would I want to expect the worst? So after I choose to be successful, I have to expect 
to be successful. And if I expect to be successful, then I'm going to be more than likely put myself in position to do the things that's going to take to be successful. And that's the key. We got to go. It's not going to happen by accident. And if it does happen by accident, it's not going to be sustained. You're going to have to put in the work. And as you put in that work, as you grind, that success is going to be yours. Because the thing that you also got to realize is enjoy the journey. If it happens overnight, really there's no such thing as an overnight success. It doesn't happen. Because most of the time you don't see the hours and the work that that person has put in behind closed doors. So it's not an overnight success. They've been preparing for that moment. But the key is when that moment was available, they were ready. And if you're ready when your moment is available, success would be yours. So first of all, let's make sure we make that choice to be successful, then let's expect to be successful, and then let's do the things that it takes to be successful. Today, I got uh, another one of my guys um, that's been on before, and uh, glad to have him back, Keith Warren. Keith, how's everything going? Everything's going great. Great, uh, Coach Stans. I appreciate you having me on again. It's uh, it's been too long, but uh, everything's going real well. We're good, man. Good, 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 good. Now, hey, just while we're on the topic, just speaking of what it takes to be successful, you are successful in your own right. Um, you own a couple of businesses. You work at a bank. So in your mind, tell us something that, that you believe that it takes to be successful. Um, I think it, 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 it starts with hard work. Um, and I think it's so cliche that, you know, you, you say that, right, hard work. Everyone says hard work. But it really does because you got to be willing to put in the work and the effort um, and have the persistence that those who are willing, who are okay with just being content, um, mm-hmm. you got to be willing to go that much further and do that much more. And um, I think perseverance is, is, is definitely a huge a huge uh, part of being successful because there's going to be things that you're going to come up against in your life, whether uh, it be unforeseen or it's just a matter of, you know, when you have kids or start a family or things didn't go the way you thought they would go when you started this business or when you started that business and those businesses have failed, it can be easy to say, you know, I'm going to cash in the chips here and I'm going to take my losses and go, or you can persevere through that and keep pushing and, and learn from those mistakes. So I think, you know, hard work, perseverance are two definitely things that uh, I think have played a role in, in the amount of success that I've had at the young age um, that I'm at now. But um, I'm just – I'm still I'm still trying to work as hard as I possibly can, first one in, last one out, and um, definitely persevering through all the, the those obstacles that may approach you throughout the, um, throughout the process. Yep, yep, definitely. That's that's definitely if you don't uh, if you don't work hard, it's not gonna happen. You know, one of my old players and he was talking about, you know, uh this was him as a senior and he was looking at one of the freshmen and like, Coach, you know what? That dude got a million dollar dream and a minimum wage work ethic. It's not gonna work. <laughs> and it's true. Um a lot of people say that they want to be successful, but don't put that time in to actually make it happen. And like I said, even if it happens by accident, it's not going to be sustained. And next thing you know, hey, 
a success might have came and gone. Um, but speaking right. of success, uh, we got some guys that are going to be on top of the world here in a couple of days. The NFL draft is upon us. Yeah, yeah. Now, I don't think there's a doubt to who the number one draft pick is going to be. All right? I think it's been Trevor Lawrence. At least that's what they, they, the thought is, um, that, it's gonna, that it's been Trevor Lawrence since this time last year. Um, right. But who do you think is going to be next? Well, I'll tell you who I who is going to who's going to be next and who I think should be next because um, I think it's two totally different things and I truly don't right. understand the phenomenon that is, has happened um, over these past few months of evaluating talent. Um, I think who will be next will be Zach mm-hmm. Wilson. Um, great okay. arm talent, great had a great season for BYU, did some really good things. Um, won some big games and had an opportunity to show that, you know, I think every every year, right, you go into the season thinking that you're going to have certain players that you know of. Like we knew Trevor Lawrence was going to be who he was this year. And then you have a guy like Zach Wilson that who comes out of nowhere and it's like, oh, man, who's this kid? We didn't even know about him. And now he's potentially going to be the second pick in the draft to the New York Jets, um, who I think should be the second pick. Honestly, I do not understand why Justin Fields isn't the second pick in the NFL draft? Um, unfortunately, I'm from I'm, I'm I'm from Columbus, Ohio. I'm not a Buckeye. I'm a I'm a I'm a Wolverine, which has been very 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 tough to uh, stomach and swallow <laughs> here in Columbus because um, we've been getting beat up on. But I've had the, the the privilege of seeing Fields up close and personal on a on a weekly basis, and especially the mm-hmm. last week of the season against Michigan. Um, a guy at 6'3", 225 pounds, that runs like a running back and has a cannon. Like, he can throw the ball. And what people don't realize when they're talking about Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, those two coming out of high school were the number one and number two players in the country. And they mm-hmm. were battling yep. for that number one player in the country the entire time throughout uh, their that, that senior season of theirs. And then they – see each other, you know, two times back-to-back in the in the college football playoffs. Trevor wins one, mm-hmm. and then Justin just completely outplayed uh, Trevor this year. So I'm confused. You know, the Jets, you know, that's why they get paid the money that they do in that front office, and they're going to have to live with, with what they're doing. I think they're getting a great guy in Zach Wilson, but I think Justin Fields has the highest ceiling of a lot of these guys because of the, the traits and the tools that he does possess. Mhm. And now, you know, one of the things that you got to wonder, just talking about that, is the Jets traded Sam Donald. Now, Sam Donald's been in mm-hmm. three years. Yeah, I mean, three years. That's for a quarterback to say, hey, and and they're pretty much handing the keys over to whoever they they draft. They're handing the quarterback yeah. keys, the the keys to the team, to that young man versus saying, hey, Sam Donald, which not that, you know, Sam Donald won, you know, was definitely lighting things up, but he wasn't just straight trash either. Exactly. Um, 
So it's you know that whole deal where they traded him and and just saying hey we're gonna we're gonna put our money on a rookie, which is what they did three years ago. Yeah, and this year I think, you know, I watched I've probably watched maybe because I love the draft. Um, I'm all in. You know, me and my my brothers and my friends and my boys and my, and, and and some of the bros. You know, we get together and we're gonna be going down making picks. Zach Wilson, the, the, the biggest thing about Zach Wilson to the Jets for me is you take a kid from a school like BYU, small school, mm-hmm. small town, very conservative, mm-hmm. you know, uh, college there, and you put him in bright lights, big city, New York, New York, <laughs> where the fans and the life and everything is so much bigger than he's ever experienced in his life, you know, I mean, right. I think the max right. crowd at, at, at BYU is 60,000, 70,000. I mean, mm-hmm. and, you know, those games, they were sold out this year because they were they, they played well, but that's not the norm. He's going into right. New York with the Jets. There's not a lot of talent surrounding him there. It is going to be very, very interesting to see how that yep. plays out. Yep, that's true. That's true. So you wonder – you know, Jets, are you better off um, keeping Sam down and let's put some tools around him versus bringing in a rookie quarterback? And, and again, as you said, that, we don't get paid the big bucks. They do. So they made that decision. <laughs> um, and then there's Justin Fields, which, again, they're projecting yeah. to go next. Um, but I wonder, what are all the Georgia fans thinking? That they had Justin Fields in their locker room, and all of a sudden he gets to go play for a national championship, and we don't. Yeah, do you I mean, good? you know, Georgia in the SEC. I I can only imagine had they been patient enough, had they believed in what it was that they recruited when he was the number two player in the country coming out. Um, of high school behind Trevor Lawrence, you know, if if they would have stuck with it and truly gave him the keys, because they brought him in and they had him running some gadget plays here and there and a few things, but they never really looked to develop him. And then obviously there's some things that the other things that that transpired that caused him to transfer. But it has to be tough for Georgia fans who who have been on the right there on the brink of making that next step to watch this kid in the college playoffs back-to-back seasons as his first two seasons at Ohio State. Now he's going to be mm. a top-five pick in the NFL draft. <laughs> you know, I mean, sometimes that's how it works. So, you know, we don't we don't see it, you know, in some players. Like, you know, we didn't see, you know, the, the quarterback from BYU coming out to be what he was. I think we all knew that Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, just based off their pedigree in high school and in college, they'd be there. So, you know, as as Georgia gets ready to, you know, get back on that recruit, get back on that recruiting uh, trail. You know, I'm sure that'll be something that they'll always be thinking about. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. And while we're on the quarterbacks, Matt Jones, what do you think of him? Um, well, I mean, I mean, he's played with the best talent in college football. You know, right. I think Alabama's going to probably put in 
10 to 12 guys in the draft this year. They'll have probably five guys um, in the uh, first round. I mean, he's played with four receivers that are going to be first-round draft picks. He's got a running back that's going to be the first running back taken. So he has played with talent. Being in big games is nothing new to him. Um, Right. But I think that he's just – we'll see. You know, I think of all the quarterbacks, I think the verdict is still out on him, in my opinion. I know he's played well. I mean, but when you can stand back there and stand behind the best offensive line in college football, throw to the best receivers in college football, yeah. hand the ball off yeah. to the best running back in college football, yeah, that it makes you it a little have bit, to consider that. Yep, no doubt. No yeah, doubt. so well, it'll be interesting. I and, mean, and that, in my opinion, I think, the, I think he's the fifth. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that led to the best passing percentage in college football history. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, right. it led to the best passing percentage. I mean, he had, he, you know, and then they so – the, so the marvel is about his accuracy and how accurate of a quarterback he is. But, you know, when you're throwing the ball to – I mean, we all watched the national championship game. Devontae Smith looked like he was unguardable. You know, I mean, yeah. like he was out there playing yeah. seven on seven. Uh, it's real simple yeah. to – to, to hit hit a guy like that in stride, and then you have a guy like Jalen Waddle, who's a four two guy, yeah. who you know you take one wrong step and he's by you. So um, it'll be interesting. I think Mac Jones, he's he's definitely got to be in the right system. He's got to be in the right place for him to truly be successful in what he does, um, because mm-hmm. he doesn't have the athleticism of Trey or of Lawrence or of Justin Fields. So he's got to be in a situation where the team, he's got some talent built around him already and, and an offensive line that can protect him. Definitely, definitely. Now, they're projecting that Cal Pitts goes to Atlanta Falcons. Mm-hmm. You know, one question you have to ask is how much offense can Atlanta <laughs> Well, I think I think that I think that this is a great uh, a great situation for um, for Atlanta, and it speaks to also the Mac Jones comment that I just made. Right, you got a guy like Matt Ryan who doesn't have the crazy athleticism that a lot of that some of these other quarterbacks in the NFL has, but he is an accurate passer of the ball and is pretty knowledgeable of the game. So you surround him with talent. I mean, right now they've got Julio and they've got Ridley and they've got. Um, you know, a couple running backs that can run the ball. Then you add in a guy like Kyle Pitts, who is a matchup nightmare yeah. at the tight end position. Yeah. Um, I yeah. honestly feel, though, that Kyle Pitts couldn't have come at a better chance because Julio's getting up there in age. And, you know, yeah. this isn't show friends, it's show business. And teams mm-hmm. are going to be looking – they're going to be looking to move from him. So you replace one six four receiver with a six six guy who's also a four four. I mean, it's it's a uh, it's a good situation for him and for them in that in that on that perspective. So it'll be interesting. I'm looking forward. That's the one guy that I think is just going to have a phenomenal, uh, guaranteed as long as he stays healthy, phenomenal career, um, regardless yeah. of where he ends yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, he's he's definitely a a match issue 
because I mean you got to put a you got to put a, a a DB type guy on him. You can't put a linebacker on. Yeah. Him. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I mean he's six six. He, so I mean. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So no doubt, no doubt. Um, the speaking of DBs, who do you think should be the first corner taken? Do you think it's Sertan, or do you think it's Horn? I I like Sertan. Um, you know, corners uh, from Alabama have gotten uh, a bad rap, and and some some deservingly so, right? I mean, they again, it's the it's the wealth famine of Alabama. You have consistently amazing defensive linemen and an amazing front seven that's going to get pressure on mm-hmm. quarterbacks, which then causes those DVs that to cover two, three seconds at the most. And then, you know, these guys are big, fast, and they can run. So in college, right. they've been able to dominate, you know, they're able to really lock down receivers because that, that front pressure is coming so much. You get to the NFL, you've got some better offensive line, you've got some offensive teams mm-hmm. that – require them to cover for a little bit longer and it's put them in some trouble. You know, Sertain, though, I mean, he's grown up in it. He's a legacy defensive back. I mean, his dad was one of the best to play the position. This kid's 6'2", 200-some-odd pounds, can run, can jump, got long arms. I mean, you, he finds himself in the right system in a cover three or Tampa two system. He is going to be a nightmare for a lot of receivers out there and for defenses because, you know, a guy like that, you know, you look at uh, Richard Seymour, who's similar in build but doesn't have the top-end speed that uh, Sertain has. Right. So you put him in a system mm-hmm. where, you know, something like where, where Sherman's been able to, um, you know, really show what he can do. I think, you know, he, Patrick Sertain uh, Jr., can really do something special in the NFL. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of like uh, at Seattle. They don't have any, any corners below six foot. So it's, no. that's, that's that's kind of their deal. They want the big – and most of their corners are athletic. But they want the big corners yeah. over there. Yeah, they want to clog mm-hmm. up those windows as much as possible. Nothing better to do that with big big corners, big safeties, big linebackers to close up those windows. Corner, I really like yeah. that. It's kind of just flying under the radar is, again, another mm-hmm. legacy guy, Asante Samuel Jr., you know, mm-hmm. really highly recruited player in college, uh, coming out of high school and college, played really well for Florida State. Um, I think that he, if he finds himself on the right team, he could have a really good right. uh, rookie year and career. And, you know, that, that does have a lot to do with them, making sure that they get into the right system. Because, um, again, some of those guys being in the right system is, is huge um, because some people, they're going to want to be in that Tampa 2. Some of them say, hey, we're going to put you on the island. Go on out there. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to play more man than anything, so so go on out there. And then others will be going to, you know, play a little bit more zone and do some different things and change it up a little bit. So being in that different or being in that right system is extremely important. Extremely important. So now, uh, on one of the things uh, that I saw, and then we're going to go to a break in a second, is talking about Mr. Harris, Najee Harris, going to the Steelers. Which, of course, the Steelers. Oh yeah. Uh, their, their run game has, has been. I mean, that's that's synonymous with the Steelers running the football. 
Now, last right. year, they threw the ball 60 times in the playoff game. Really? The Pittsburgh Steelers. 60 times? That's not that's not like my feelings. I'm a diehard Uh So getting that special running back, uh, I think, would definitely uh, be to our benefit. But, but, hey, we'll talk about this a little bit later. We're going to go to a quick break, and we'll be back in a few minutes with our first guest. Take care. Hold on. Today, more than ever, we think about the air our family breathes. You and your family need to count on your home's air to be clean, free from harmful bacteria, and safe from the coronavirus. Nano air filters are the defense system your home HVAC system needs. Our filter media is created with a super fine spider-like material, which captures particles as small as the virus. Standard home filters are just far too porous to do the job. So make the healthy choice and upgrade your air filters today by visiting nanoairsolutions.com.
I'm back. This is Everett Sands, and we're back with the West Mountain Sports Talk Show. And our first guest is truly bad. He is the man. He's a guy that used to wear me out on the basketball court. Um, he's a Hall of Fame wrestler at the Citadel. Coach Ed Sears. Coach, how's everything going? Everything's great. Everything's really good for me because today was our last day of class. <laughs> so, uh, now I've got the summer off, so that's good. Uh, Great. That's good. good. So, so graduation is what the eighth or ninth? Yes, it, it's the it's the eighth, and uh, it's the eighth. Okay. Uh, obviously, we're we're looking forward to it. It's been a uh, yeah, every year is a is a, a challenge, but this is particularly a challenge with the pandemic stuff and uh, our uh, our core cadets handle it really well. Uh, they could have, they could have said, "Oh, we we got to take it easy. We, we got the pandemic and all." But they uh, they did a great job uh, going right down to the finish line. I was really proud of them uh, that they they did their work. Uh, they they handled themselves well. They got along great, and uh, I was really proud of them. Well, good, 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 good. Well, hey, I'm happy to say that my nephew, uh, Anthony's Anthony's son. We'll be graduating on May 8th. It was kind of crazy. Oh. Four years in there. Bye. Wow. Wow. It's a big day. It is a big day. And it's going to be a little better than doing the virtual, you know. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt. Well, Coach, as we get started, if you don't mind, just, just give everybody a little bit uh, of your background and um, and what you've done. Uh in June, I'm going to be 75, Everett, so I've I, I, <laughs> I got a lot I could talk about. But uh, uh, I came to the Citadel. Uh, I didn't know anybody from South Carolina, uh, and I had uh, I had not been a good student. I had not been a, a real good citizen in high school, and uh, I came around my last year or two when I first started playing sports, and uh, – and started doing a lot better in school and things like that. And uh, but my my people told me that uh, I wasn't fixed and I needed to go to the Citadel. So uh, it fixed <laughs> me. I, so I, I uh, went to Citadel, graduated. I was lucky enough to. I thought I was going to be a high school coach. That was my goal. And uh, the way it worked out, I got an offer to be a, a GA and assistant coach at William and Mary, and I had a a fellowship to Wake Forest when I graduated, which my teachers, my my sophomore and junior year would have rolled over in their graves if they knew I had that stuff. And uh, so I, I coached <laughs> William and Mary. I was in the army for a couple of years. Uh, it was during the Vietnam era. Uh, and uh, I got to coach uh, wrestling actually, in addition to being a tank platoon leader. But uh, as you and I know that, uh, Everybody at the Citadel doesn't go in the military. That's a misconception. Yeah. Only about 30% are. Uh, when I got back, got out, I came back to William & Mary, became the head coach there, uh, went to East Carolina for a little while, and I was the head coach at West Point at the Military Academy. Um, and then I decided I wanted my family to be back in Charleston. We moved back to Charleston uh, and I did a number of things that uh, my Citadel degree permitted me to be versatile enough to be a college admissions officer. I sold pharmaceuticals. I sold real estate. And uh, 
and I was an athletic administrator mostly. I was an associate athletic director at Citadel. Uh, I was uh, athletic director at a private school here in town, which was K through 12, and I was interim athletic director at Presbyterian College. So I've been uh, retired, and I'm still teaching at the Citadel, and uh, it's just great being around all these great young people that uh, that are uh, I have mostly juniors and seniors. And uh, really, it's exciting for me to be letting them get out and launch their careers. They have great goals and uh, are really well prepared for a competitive uh, job market out there. So that's about that's about where we are right now. Well, good, good. You know, I was talking with uh, um, one of our guys, and he said, "You know what, Coach Steers really kept me straight." He said. <laughs> I had a great game against Furman the junior year. And as I was coming off the field, Coach Stewart said, you're still not going to the NFL. (laughs) (laughs) We don't want to have a big head now. We don't want everybody to have a big head, you know. Uh, So so why do you think it's important to start thinking about life after football? when you see a playing football? Um, you know, what, what's, what's interesting to me is I teach a class. Uh, it's, it's, it's sort of in leadership, but it's also it's in leadership in life. And uh, the okay. final paper they have to do is a, a roadmap that they're going to have from now until they're 65. And... Uh, they they did some great papers. They did a lot of research and, and all that sort of stuff, and I was really proud of them. But some of them went even further back to when they were uh, junior high and things like that. And it turns out a lot of those guys were really like me. Uh, they weren't the stellar students. Uh, right. They were distracted, and they uh, weren't uh, doing the right thing, and they were uh, – I think they were feeling uh, like they were inferior and they covered things up by acting like they didn't care. And I was that guy. Uh, and uh, and, and uh, so a lot, of, a lot of people have those rough times early on. But, but uh, once you turn it around, uh, you can do anything you want to do. And uh, the Citadel really helped uh, – I, I still, even though I, I, I struggled in school, in high school, uh, I didn't ask for help. I, I acted like I didn't care, and so I didn't have a good basis. So when I got to the Citadel, it was really hard, but I had the support systems there to help me to get those basics later in life that other people had gotten in the 10th and the 9th grade. And uh, mm-hmm. so it... Uh, it really helped me personally a lot. Now, some of the, the kids I've got were three nine students all the way through. Uh, right. They're going to go be doc- doctors and lawyers and things like that. But a number of them that are going to be three became three nine students were like uh, a lot lower than that in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the environment that we had, where you had this discipline and you had the support of the uh, small school environment with uh, only 2,300 students uh, that the, the professors knew you 
and you also had a system when we were arranged in companies of about 100 cadets. And uh, within that company, they had people who were assigned to to do certain things. We had academic officers who were cadets Mm -hmm. that went out and sought out the, the people that were struggling and they help them get the support systems to help them uh, meet higher standards and do better and to uh, be one-on-one with them and really help them uh, be able to change their whole life because they were able to – because they had good grades and they were going to be able to do more things and they had more options than they had coming there. So, right. so the school was good to – so I, I look at it as – if the school was good to me, but then I look at it, these kids recognize it right now, how good it was for them. These are juniors and seniors that I've got, and uh, I'm just so proud of them. But they're typical of every – I've been doing this for seven years now, and they're typical wow. of the guys who, and girls that we're producing. Uh, uh, they know how to work together. They know how to get along. Uh, they know how to help each other. Uh, they had know how to, to meet standards. Uh, and it's not as if they're all robots that are going to go the, into the service. Only about 30% of them do. But uh, mm-hmm. the ones that go out into civilian-type stuff can still use the, the leadership and the discipline and those things that, uh, that they get at the Citadel. Right. That. The one thing, the one thing I wanted to get in there that, that is unique, I think, and it's not that other schools are bad about this, but we mm-hmm. have an honor code that we're very proud of. Uh, right. We're very proud of the honor code that we have, where cadets do not lie, cheat, or steal. So we, as a group, trust each other because we know those are values that we have. But in along, mm-hmm. along with that, other people looking from the outside inside really respect the fact that we've been in that honor code. And that's not to say that other schools don't have them and other schools right. don't – it's not like they're cheating and stuff like that. But this is a very important principle uh, in our lives, and there are things that we're going to carry to the grave uh, is that honor mm-hmm. system that we have. Right. Right, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. You know, uh, I heard a um, company say that uh, a guy from a company was like, "You know what? You, you really got a gem at the Citadel because you have an opportunity to be put in a leadership position as a nineteen, twenty, twenty-one year old, where most people don't get those opportunities." Until their late twenties, early thirties, and and I think that is really, really true, because you know you get an opportunity to lead your peers, which I think a lot of times is harder to do than lead somebody that's a lot younger than you, because leading your peers, you you got to have the respect of them to be able to lead them, and of course, as with everything, we as my time as a student, there were some good leaders and there were some bad leaders. But the key is I learned from <laughs> yeah. the good leaders. I learned from the bad leaders. Right. And 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 the bad leaders learn from their mistakes too, hopefully. Right. right. Um exactly. the the thing of it is, as you said, Everett, we have uh they've created more 
leadership positions for people to have that opportunity. And uh, right. like I have a boy who uh, who was writing a letter of recommendation, and they were asking about, and he was the company human uh, human affairs officer. And what that was mm-hmm. is he was in charge of tracking all hundred people in the company and seeing how they were doing, you know, how their mental right. house outlook was, um, how they were feeling positive. Were they dragging about things? Were they excited about things? Were they struggling about things? Did they have problems at home with their family and things like that, that they really couldn't control? And so that, mm-hmm. that, that job right there is uh, it's really neat, especially with the troubles that we had with the p- pandemic and uh, people having to go into quarantine and wear masks and all that sort of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I was really worried about maybe things falling apart, but the core yeah. stuck together and the, and the leadership did a great job and we weathered this storm and uh, they got, uh, they're getting pretty good grades Um they're all very proud that they're going to graduate soon, and uh, and so it was it was a major challenge uh, to be because we mm-hmm. had all of our cadets here, uh, right? We had all of them here. They're unlike other schools that uh, they weren't all there. It was part of of what we have is having the leadership opportunities uh, to be together because we are that's our identity that makes us different. That makes us unique, and uh, so we had everybody here the whole time, unless you had to go to quarantine or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. But they bucked up really well, and and uh, we have a lot of different jobs and things like that. That uh, we have religious officers, we have all sorts of things for people that have uh, strong faith and stuff like that. And uh, so there are even more leadership opportunities right now than there were before. So it's really good, really good. Right, right. Did the, were all the classes face-to-face or were some of the classes virtual? My, 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 cla- my class is, a, uh, I had 20, like 25 students, and it was a hybrid. Mm-hmm. Um, I had half of them on, on, sitting in the room with their masks on, and the other half were online at the same time, and uh, and uh, I'm the kind of guy that really likes to know my students, and uh, mm-hmm. it was really hard when you you only saw them half as much in face to face as you did, but it was better than a lot of things, and uh, I looked mm-hmm. forward to being totally face to face. When you, when you're teaching a class with kids with a mask on uh you don't you don't communicate quite as well and you don't understand how they're uh receiving things and i've tried mm-hmm. to memorize the first name of, of every student that i've got and uh i had 70 some students all together this year mm-hmm. and uh it's uh it, and the way it is it's hard when you see them out and all you can see is their eyes you can hardly tell who right. they are. And so that that was a struggle for me because I really wanted to reach out and, and reach each one of those kids. And I think in the end run, we did it, 
but it was hard when you couldn't see them uh, with those masks. Right. So it was a struggle for all of mm-hmm. us. But uh, but mm-hmm. we we made it. We did we did good, and uh, mm-hmm. we had sort of a a really good uh, last class today for for uh, for my classes. I I really enjoyed these kids. Well, good, good. The what kind of transition do you think is going to be to go back to class full time in the fall? I think it's going to be wonderful. <laughs> it's going to be joyous <laughs> to me uh, to be able to uh, to read them better. Uh, and I felt like I was getting through to them. And uh, when they present, they all had to present these life plans that they had. And uh, okay. I felt like it was important that uh, they get up in front of a group and get used to talking to them. Uh, mm-hmm. It wasn't a formal PowerPoint thing or anything like that. It was more conversational, uh, and they had to do that uh, for a couple of the papers that we had. Uh, and uh, there was uh, there was uh, to see them up there. They took their masks off and. And to see them smile and everything was really good. But more importantly, the the values that they talk about are really good. Uh, having empathy for others, learning how to respect mm-hmm. others, learning how important uh, family is, uh, right. how important uh, your faith is, whatever that might be, uh, how important your friends are. Uh, and uh, I had people from all different majors, and some of the people wouldn't have known each other. But I feel like we got to know each other really well. As you know, uh, Coach, the uh, one of the big things about our school is we have a great networking program. Uh, mm-hmm. But sometimes when you're, isol- you're in these company units, which are 100 cadets, as you know, uh, you become attached to that. Uh, And some of the other people, you don't go out and meet them that much. And I really wanted Mm -hmm. to do that in my class. I wanted them to get to know other people and uh, to see them laughing and joking and enjoying each other's friendship uh, was really good, Uh, really made me feel good. And some of these people that I may go out and reach out to people in the class that they never would have made me feel really good. So I, I feel like our networking system, once we get out, is really good because we have mm-hmm. so many people out there that are hiring people, and uh, they have great respect for the people that are walking in the same path that they did. Uh, but I also feel like it's important that we network while we're in school and get to know as many people as possible. Uh, we get to, you know, as a football player, you were with your football team and your company. Uh, and that's the way it is a lot. But uh, we wanted to make sure people reached out to as many po- people as possible to get to know them. And uh, mm. so I, I felt really good that uh, they should get to, to know other people. They should have empathy for people who maybe weren't athletes, uh, people who were uh, had different uh, things that they liked and stuff like that. People from different, right. uh, as you know, we've got people from all over the country uh, to get to know people from different uh, homes and towns and stuff like that. And so I thought the, the camaraderie in my class was really good. 
Uh, right. And uh, so the transition, it's going to be a piece of cake. <laughs> and going back yeah. to the regular, it'll be a piece of cake. Yeah. All right. Now, Coach, let me ask you this question. Um, as you're speaking to a young student athlete, what would you want to say was important for them to start thinking about after they finish playing? Uh, you know, and, and one of the things in these life plan things, and I've been doing this for seven years, a lot of our athletes, their goal is to play at the next level, which is professional. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And as you and I know, um, that's a great goal, but there are only so many slots out there. And mm-hmm. and eventually uh, you need to try to do the – every kid that plays Little League Baseball, if you ask them where they thought they were going to do, they're going to be in the major leagues. And how many of them really get there? Uh, so they have to be prepared to do other things. And there are other things you should be encouraged to do, but – um, as I think about it, um, if you really have a a caring for sport, a caring for that, you think about coaching and other avenues to go into it. You were a great athlete. I mean, you were stunning. And uh, so what did you do uh, with your love for your sport once you were through playing? You went into the coaching. Uh, and mm-hmm. if you look at, at – uh, some of the great coaches uh, were, I mean, uh, who, who, who was the most successful NFL coach in, in, in the last 15 years? Bill Belichick, I would say. Mm-hmm. Even, yep. even if you maybe don't like him, you, you, uh, you know that he was very good. And, and he went to Wesleyan College in Connecticut. I mean, he was not a great player. Uh, you look at Nick Saban, who's arguably the the best college coach right now. He went to Kent State. Uh, mm-hmm. You look at Dabo. Dabo went to Alabama. He got to play three years. He caught seven passes in that time. And those mm-hmm. are the cream of the crop as coaches. So you you have your love for your sport, and you can be in your sport – by developing programs and leading uh, young student athletes and get maybe not as much money as a pro athlete would, but getting as much satisfaction, if not more, by going into coaching. Uh, And and obviously, if you have gifts in other areas, that's a good thing too, but it just strikes me. um, I mean, Stump Mitchell is still coaching uh, for the Browns. I mean, John Small was a first-round pick in the in the NFL draft. He he was playing when I was in school. And of course, we have Andre Roberts still playing, and people like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have some baseball players and such. Uh, but um, I would say, give it all you've got to if you really want to be a pro. We have a couple of baseball players that uh, came out after their junior year. Um, uh, Bo Thompson and Skylar Hunter, and they went to the major, mm-hmm. to the minor leagues, and they stayed there for three years, and uh, they did everything they could 
to make it into the major leagues. Bo was in the Yankees system and Skyler and there's a couple other systems. And then after three years, they realized they weren't going to make it. They had to come back and be cadets and get their degrees. But if you ask them to do over again, they've done, done mm-hmm. it over. So I would say try as hard right. as you can, but it's really important to get your degree, to find something yeah. else that you love. And if what you love is sport, you can be in sport. But they say if you love what you do and you never work a day in your life. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I'm in contact with kids that are going to be doctors and lawyers and businessmen, uh, accountants. And uh, I have a, I had a, a uh, engineer in my class that just signed a, a contract with Volvo uh, right out of college. I have another one that's uh, – a lot of them that have good jobs out of sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you should be prepared to be well-rounded, to have a resume that shows that you're uh, a serious person, that you're dependable, uh, and uh, to try to have good grades. Good grades count too. Uh, mm-hmm. And good letters. And, and, and letters of recommendation are really important too. Uh, you find people that uh, are doing a resume and they don't have one teacher on their resume. Um, if you're applying for some type of a job in your major, you should have at least one teacher that you feel would write a good letter for you. So it's important mm-hmm. every day that you impress and you work hard and you do the work that your teachers are expecting you to do. Uh, you don't develop uh, uses. Uh, you work hard, you let them know you're hard, you show that you're enthusiastic, and you will learn more, but they also will help you in the long run. Um, right. They will help, help you in the long run. When you have a teacher that will go to bat for you, um, mm-hmm. I think that's an important thing to to impress your teachers every day with your interest. Right. Uh, even though, you know, a lot of times when you're in school, I mean, you're a computer scientist, and uh, I, I, that's really tough stuff for me, uh, and and math and things like that were tough for me. But I've got I had to work hard in that because you have to be well rounded and sit, show that you're mm-hmm. able to do other things, not just one right. set of skills. Uh, so it's important that you you work hard in your schoolwork, and you keep all of your options open, and you try to find something that you like. Great. Well, Coach, I do appreciate it. Um, it's been very informative. It's been great. And uh, sometime soon, we're going to have to get you back on again so we can talk a little bit more, okay? No, I'd love to. Um, I uh, Like my, my mission right now, when I, when I went to college, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, and, and sports turned my life around. And uh, I decided that that's what I want to do with my life is help turn lives around. And so this class that I have right now gives me 70 kids to work with every every semester. And uh, um, it's my mission, and it's something I love. Good. Good. We we'll, we'll definitely appreciate you. For me, somebody that you work with, I definitely appreciate it. And I know I'm speaking for everybody else. We, they appreciate you as well. And uh, And, again, Thank you, and keep up the great work. We're going to go to a quick break, and we'll be back here in a few minutes. Thanks again, Coach. 
Thank you, Coach. Take care. Bye. Go dogs. Go dogs. everybody doing? This is Everett Sands of the West Foundation Sports Talk Show. Um, 
And it was a great conversation that we had with Coach Steers. I have another young man that is joining us that had opportunity to uh, also be at the Citadel when Coach Steers was running around. Uh, Mr. Phil Abdul. Phil, how's everything going? Good, good, Everett. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. It's uh, Now, you know, when we talked to you last, you was on the verge of retirement. Now you have retired. So how is retirement treating you? Uh, retirement's uh, very, it's treating me very well. Um, it, you know, my law enforcement days uh, have come to a close, but uh, it's opened up some other opportunities for me um, to start helping um, do some things that I've always wanted to do. And uh, so it's given okay. me some opportunities. Good, 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 good. Well, that's outstanding. That's outstanding. It's always good to be in a position where you know, hey, I got a check coming in, and I can do what <laughs> I want to do because I want to do it. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to that point. Uh, but, you know, it's a little bit different path. <laughs> yeah. But, but hey, but again, you know, you were in law, law enforcement, of course. Unfortunately, right now, we are in such a crazy time in our country. Um, you know, it's since the, the verdict last Tuesday, it seems like it's almost getting worse. Um, what are some of your thoughts on some of the things that's going on? Well, I think that um, right now, you know, you talk about some crazy times. I, I think there um, are some crazy times going on out there right now, but I think it's a pivotal time, and um, not just in law enforcement, but um, for, you know, everybody right now, um, you know, and the interaction that uh, we, we, you know, we hear so much about, you know, law enforcement and, and the citizens, but I say it's a pivotal time because we're at a point right now that we can start to make changes that are going to affect not just the future that we see, but the future that our generations will see and how uh, not only is policing done, but how we as a society um, feel about a variety of things from law enforcement through, you know, everything else that you hear about right now. Um, So we're we're at a point in time that we could make some some serious changes, and I think it's a great opportunity. Right. If And just from your perspective, what are one or two of the top changes you think that needs to be made? Um, as far as internally with within the law enforcement community, um, I, I truly think that um, um, training and hiring mm-hmm. are uh, two – very crucial points that need to be addressed. Um, you know, we, we used to talk about, uh, well, we'll take a, we'll take a football team. You know, you want to draft the best players, right? You want to draft, you want to, you want to get through free agency, the best players you can to have the best team you can. Um, mm-hmm. And right now in law enforcement, um, you know, we're trying to recruit the best candidates we can, but, what we typically see is our pool of applicants have really shrunk over the last several years, probably 
six to eight years. Um, mm-hmm. When I was uh, when I was working for the department, I one of my jobs was to help recruit. Um, prior to that, we would have one or two openings. A local department would have one or two openings, and we would have two to three hundred people test for that one or two openings. Now right. you might have ten openings, and you get thirty applicants, maybe forty. So the pool is getting smaller to draw from. Um, what we can right. do to expand that is, uh, you know, it, it, if I had the answer to that, I probably uh, would be making a lot of money touring around talking <laughs> to these chiefs. Um, but we, we need to address that somehow. Um, and because the, the bigger pool of applicants you get, right, um, the more recruits you can look at at a college, you can start picking the best candidates. And then when we take and we train them, one of the things I think that is uh, imperative is training. Um, you know, you hear a lot of, of talk about uh, cutting police budgets. And the police departments are typically your municipality's biggest line item budget. They, right. it, it's, it goes along with the territory. But when you start mm-hmm. cutting budgets, one of the things that gets cut in in a law enforcement department typically is training because it's we, you can't cut patrols. You have a minimum right. staffing level, so you can't just not be police out there. Um, you can't stop solving crimes. You can't stop taking 911 calls. So what do you what do you do? You you stop training or you cut back mm-hmm. training. And that would be like taking a, a football team and saying, well, we can only practice on uh, Wednesdays from, you know, three to four. And we can't really do right. it in pads because we, we have to save our pads. What kind of a football team mm-hmm. are you going to expect? Um, so Not very good. Yeah, most successful departments have good, solid training programs. And that eliminates a lot of the mistakes you see that are, are happening out on the street right now. Um, yeah. Okay. And you know, so those are the two things I see internally that that must be addressed. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, and now, one so I thing... love I love the core. Go ahead. I'm sorry. What's that? Good. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. So I love the correlation that you made with the training towards you know being able to train your football team and having you know different things. You know, one thing that we do um, in practice is pressure situations, right? whether it's, you know, third and one, goal line situations, high-pressure, high-intensity situations. I think from the viewpoint of just the average gay American who's watching this stuff on TV and on CNN and, and, and reading about it, it, it looks like, you know, a good amount of that training needs to be focused on those high-pressure situations. I mean, would you agree with that? I mean, I think so often it looks like there was panic or there was, you know, just a, a, a scenario that took place where the persons or persons involved, you know, panicked or, you know, kind of cracked under that pressure situation. Would you agree or would you say that that's a point where that training definitely needs to be focused on? I absolutely 1,000% agree. Um, if you don't take and put um, – either cadets or police officers. And it can't be just at the beginning of their career and you put them in 
right? You know, you put them in an right. academy and you put them in a high pressure situation and watch what they do. Um, it's got to be ongoing. That's why, you know, you have uh, spring training and, co- you know, spring ball in college. You have, you know, your uh, rookie camps. You have all of those things in, you know, and, and we're talking about we want a professional police department, right? You want right. pros out there, the best of the best. And so the best correlation is to is to look at it like a pro football team. You want the best out there, and you have to test them under pressure. And mm-hmm. that's why training is so invaluable. Um, I look around and I see where, um, you know, you, you might be looking at the news. And, and, and you know, like, like you said, it, it, you hit the nail on the head when you said it looked like, you know, there's panic because you don't, you don't have to perform under pressure until you have to, and now it's a life or death decision. And, right, exactly. you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that if you've done it in practice, you know, you, mm-hmm. you've done it. So when it's time to happen in reality, your body, your mind, and all of your systems are already in place. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Cause from a football perspective, it's like, I've been here before. I, I got an idea of how I'm going to react to this situation. And then you right. just do it. So now, you know, one of the things that you're saying, and my thought process is, I believe there's two professions in our country that we need to do a better job of paying. Um, one are teachers, because they're with our kids during the school year more than we are. Uh, mm-hmm. And then two officers. And I think both of those professions, the better quality, a lot of the better quality people are leaving because they're going somewhere else to make more money. Um, so I think they need to be better compensated, and then we can keep better people uh, on both aspects. And I think that's that's important to keep us safe. That's important in just educating our, our kids. Um, and then the second thing, just going back to the training, and I think of the young lady in Brooklyn City, um, she was actually training. Um, from your experience, is it feasible to say I grabbed my gun when I thought I was grabbing my taser, or is that just training? Well, I'm gonna I want to answer that in um, uh, in like a twofold. Okay, first, um, it's it's very plausible for her to grab her gun thinking she's grabbing her taser and it it goes back to the training imagine doing a walkthrough and a check the box training right okay Mm -hmm. you go to practice we're going to walk through we're not playing against the defense you know this is how you do it and okay you did it perfect you handed the ball off and it was a flea flicker made a perfect pitch, um, and he made a perfect pass. But there's no defense. There's no right. um, pressure. Okay, and sometimes, and I'm not, I don't know what their training program was, but sometimes mm-hmm. uh, police departments, when they don't train to do what we call stress inoculation, right, we don't put that pressure on them in training, when it comes game time, 
you're in the fourth right. quarter of the Super Bowl and you're down by five and you want to do a flea flicker, is that the time you really, you know, this is <laughs> how many chances, how many times do you think you're going to get it right under pressure, mm-hmm. you know, with, with everything going on? Um, and so what happens is you go back to what you do best or what you know best, what you've trained in right. the most. If I draw my gun mm-hmm. 400 times and I draw my taser 12, what's my hand naturally going to go to under stress? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So yeah. I'm automatically going to move towards what I do most, thinking I'm grabbing my taser. And under stress and under pressure with adrenaline, you know a football you know, doesn't feel like it weighs anything. Right, so weight right. and size are are irrelevant. It doesn't really. The grip is the, just about the same on a taser as a handgun, so you don't get a feel, right? You don't get that feel of what it actually is. Now, I do want to add one thing to this because I don't want to make I don't want people to think that I'm excusing the actions as law enforcement right. officers. When we make a mistake, people, human beings, our fellow citizens pay a price, and we need to be held accountable for that because we're not making widgets where we, oh, you know, we made a batch of a 1,000 bad widgets. Let's melt them down and redo them. That's not mm-hmm. our field. So it, mistakes can happen. They shouldn't, and we need to be held accountable when they do. But it all goes back to training. Yeah, and Phil, I think you I think you made a great point when you mentioned, you know, there's these these campaigns and pledges to defund the police or defund, you know, the military or whatever. I, as a black man, I cannot disagree with that more. And this is why, mm-hmm. because again, we're making this correlation to sports, which some will say is not a great correlation because we're dealing with life and death. And some will say, I get it because I understand sports. Right. But for this, for for this particular exercise, we're making this correlation towards sports. But the truth of the matter is, is that I want to give the police every single, I want to give them the best of the best training facilities, the best of the best equipment, the best of the best teachers, the best of the best coaches, the best of the best um, employees, as you said, right. Because then there is no excuse, right? There is right. no excuse on who is to be held accountable for the situations that we are dealing with. Because now it's like, well, we're not, we don't have the best of the best people, and we don't have, we need better training, and we don't have the best of the best equipment. We just now equipped all of our officers with cameras and things of that nature. To me, that is an excuse. And a very wise man taught me a long time ago that excuses are tools of the incompetent that build monuments of nothingness, right? (laughs) And, you know, when you look at these situations that are taking place on a daily, which seems like a daily basis now, right? We have to come together and say, okay, look, because if if we're correlating this to sports, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get the absolute best coach that I can get in Andy Reid, and I'm going to pay that quarterback who's going to lead my department or lead my division or lead my team. I'm going to pay him whatever it takes to get it right. Because when it doesn't go right, 
I then can hold someone accountable. And today, the accountability for what when things go wrong is another part of the issue. Who do we hold accountable? Do we hold the police officer who has probably never pulled her gun or probably never pulled her taser ever in her career other than when she was in the academy? Or do we hold the department as a whole as a whole accountable because they didn't provide her with the continued education that she should be provided throughout her career. The same thing doctors, dentists, lawyers, all professions do. They, they, they receive continued education throughout their, their career in order to make sure that they stay sharp and they stay on point in doing the things they do. So I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head when you, when you, were, when you were talking about some of those points. Well, and, and I, I think you're right. Um, you know, when you're talking about, you know, pay is, um, you know, I, I'd like to see, you know, officers get paid more. That would be great. Um, you know, officers, I think, are a little underpaid. We have to look at the market, right? You you always have to do job analysis. Um, but when you start mm-hmm. talking about who, who do we hold accountable, um, I think there's there's several people that need to be held accountable um you know you see well she pulled her taser or pulled her gun instead of her taser you know do you hold training do you hold the chief do you hold her do you hold the department um and and i would say that that's a multifaceted um answer because the chief has to make sure his officers are trained the mm-hmm. training officer has to make sure that the training is conducted properly and then it's up to the officer knowing that training is a life-saving training event, right, a taser instead of a handgun. Um, the, the officer has to understand this training is valuable. It, I need to pay attention. And if I don't, I'm the one going to be held accountable. Because if you don't get trained, right, if the math teacher doesn't teach you how to do fractions, how can you be held accountable for doing fractions? Well, in law enforcement, you still have to be held accountable, but there's more blame than just one officer. Um, yeah. The last 11 years in my career, I was uh, the lead use of force instructor for our department, which encompassed everything from communications, talking to each other, ground fighting, knife fighting, stick fighting, gun fighting. And I, every day I went to work, I tried my best to make sure that my officers were the best equipped and best trained so that they go home at the end of their shift and every citizen they come in contact with goes home. Um, So I looked at it like I might have been in a staff position, but I mm-hmm. had a very important role, and if something happened, it was my fault. Because if I didn't train them well enough, it was my fault. Um, and you know, sometimes the streets are violent. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dispute that. Um, Absolutely. But, but if an officer has to use force, even if they have to shoot somebody, and it's it's done because it had to be. I think society would understand that as long as we don't keep saying, oops, 
sorry. Oops, sorry. Yep. You can only have two exactly. sorries. You know, you can't you can't just go yeah. oop mulligan. No. Yep. That's not how it works. Yep. So And and one I think and again, feel free to disagree with me, um, but I think one of the things that has to happen um, is, as we talk about accountability, that if somebody is wrong, I think there there are definitely five to ten times more good cops than there are bad. But if there is one that is wrong, um, that is consistently doing something wrong, we hold them accountable. And if there's a bad cop, I mean, a, a bad coach, you're going to get rid of them. If there's a bad lawyer, you're going to get rid of them. But it seems sometimes the code, the blue code says, hey, he's a cop, so we're going to stand by him regardless if he's wrong or not. And I just think at times if we just hold him accountable, then it's going to be okay. But I don't know if they're always held accountable. What are your thoughts? You know, that, my, I, I, here's what I think on that. I think it's a very intriguing um, perspective. And this goes back, in my opinion, to chiefs and the culture that they set within the department. We have, in I, I'm from the Detroit area, um, you know, grew up here, you know, ended up in South Carolina, did a few things, I'm back here. I love my area. Um, when you look at Detroit Police Department, you have Chief Craig, who provides superior leadership. Um, he had took a, a department that was understaffed, um, undertrained, and demoralized, and he has made such huge strides in the Detroit Police Department with morale and training and the community, the community support we have in the metro Detroit area is phenomenal when you compare it to the rest of the uh, country. Um, I I had to stand a line during protests, um, Mm -hmm. and we were being thanked for being out there. I was being given hugs by, you know, you know, people walking by and people asking me if I want water. The leadership that the department set, he does not um, condone bad cops. And he makes it, uh, for his department, easy um, and less, I guess you'd say, code to protect Mm -hmm. bad cops. Because the one thing a good cop really, really hates is a bad cop. But if you don't feel you can do anything about it, then what happens, you have to sit on it. Um, The leadership, Mm -hmm. if they take that stigma out of it, right, and I'm not saying they're, you know, asking people to to turn people in for being five minutes late or anything like that. I mean, if there's there's an issue, if there's somebody not doing their job, mistreating somebody, um, doing something immoral or illegal, to be able to report them, and not have the repercussion, um, which they have in, in Detroit right now, um, you know, you get a better department. But one of the things you have to look at, the chiefs we have now grew up in the 70s and 80s of policing. 
where, you know, uh, it was, you know, all of us versus, you know, the world. Um, that You know, they had a, a brotherhood and sisterhood that they sometimes went maybe a little overboard. Um, so I think with, you know, with, with some of it, well, all of it starts at leadership because a good cop hates a bad cop worse than any other person on any other citizen out there. And here's why I had, um, I, I had an incident years ago. It could have been just a simple traffic stop and Hey, you know, your, your license is, uh, suspended. Um, you know, here's your ticket. I'll have, I'll call your mom. She can come get the car. You know, listen, I'm not going to take you to jail. It's not that big of an offense. Right. Mm-hmm. Here's your ticket. You're going to have to go to court. But well, what did he, he, he ended up running from us and we had a chase. Uh, luckily there was no traffic. Um, he ends up crashing his car. Could have been very disastrous. And when I asked him, I said, Hey, listen, my friend, why did you run, man? I was just going to, I was going to drive you home. And he said, well, the last time I got pulled over X, Y, and Z happened to me. And I thought you would do the mm. same. And I said, so my life was in danger and your life was in danger because of that guy. All right. right. So that other officer, um, and I actually, because I'm me, I, uh, I, I made, I made a couple of phone calls and said, Hey, you may want to check this out because they almost cost him his life and me, my life for what exactly when it could have been a traffic stop. Pat him on the back, shake his hand, say, hey, we'll see you later. You know, try to take care of this stuff. You know, mm-hmm. so leadership gets rid of that stigma. Right. But that's right. where it yeah. starts. Now, now, unfortunately, we have some traffic stops that are turned into deaths. So let me ask this question. What would you suggest? Um, a and, and, again, it's it seems like it happened to more African-American males than anybody. Um, but if you got a young man that's getting pulled over, what should he do to make sure that he can get home? Well, I, and, and I, I, I don't, I don't want this to sound condescending in any way because um, right. I don't want it to come across that way. But one of the first things, should uh, should do is to signal that he's moving over and pull mm-hmm. over in, you know, well off the roadway or onto the shoulder, uh, possibly in a parking lot, um, roll the windows down, even if it's cold out, um, and just keep your hands on the steering wheel and listen to the police officers. If you disagree with something, and, and you have a right to disagree, but for their safety disagree with it in court not on the streets it can't right. be one on the street and the only thing there's only a bad outcome that'll happen for anybody um so you know i've had i've pulled several people over who have said you know i, I don't i don't think i was speeding and i you know i'm well you know you're speeding or you ran a red light you know, but you have your chance in court. Well, I'm going to see you in court. Okay. 
you know, that's your right. And I would encourage you to take that right. Um, right. But to do so on the, and get into a confrontation on the side of the road mm-hmm. isn't going to go well either way. Um, right. You know, and, and uh, if, you, if you're respectful about things, um, you know, I, I, I would always tell people, honesty is the best policy. Being respectful goes, you know, a long way. I'm going to give the respect I give or get, um, you know, so, uh, you know, and if you're having a bad day, you know, I, I know a lot of officers who, you know, I've walked up to cars and people have said, listen, I'm sorry, I'm a little angry, I've had a bad day. So, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Tell me about it, you know. And, and now we have a dialogue, and that goes a long way because now, I, you know, we're, we're human. Police officers uh-huh. are human, and I don't, I don't want to see just a violator. So when we start talking, you're not a violator, you're a person. But if you start yelling right. at me because you feel I shouldn't have pulled you over, well, now it's just devolving into, you know, immediate responses both back and forth. And our brains aren't programmed to back down, right? We're, you know, so, you know, open your windows, hands on the steering wheel, um, talk to the officer. Just talk to him, you know. And, uh, um, and, you know, and if you have concerns, relay the concerns, you know. Um, But by all means, keep it civil. Let me ask this question real quick. Because um, it's something I've told my daughter to do. Um, if it's dark and pulled over, is it okay to go on and just put your flashes on and, and go to a lighted area? Um, Absolutely. Or, okay. Absolutely. And putting your flashes on lets them know, yeah, I, I see you behind me. And, you know, when I, because this has happened to me before. I've, you know, pulled mm-hmm. up, and now I'm in a 7-Eleven parking lot. And I said, right. you know, I know you saw me because I saw you put your flashes on. Is there something, you know, something wrong? Well, yeah, I was just a little bit afraid to pull over in a dark road. Oh, well, right. okay, I'm sorry, you know, but you know what? Good thinking. You know, now, again, we're having a dialogue. You know, right. I was afraid. Well, you know, now we're talking human to human. Mm-hmm. So that's good. That's that's definitely good advice. Um, you know, the the biggest thing is not to start reaching for things all over the place. Um, you know, you might be thinking, well, he's going to ask me for my license and registration, so let me get them out. Meanwhile, your daughter's reaching into her purse. I don't see what's in that purse. Now, do you see where you know things get heightened, right? Um, as opposed to. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, officer, my license is in my purse. Okay, we'll get it. Okay. You know, now it's it's why am I reaching in there? I know why you're reaching in there, you know. Right. Um, and uh, but most of the traffic stops I've seen or I've been on, um, normally it's, it's not a jumpy encounter. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when we start talking about 700,000 contacts a year, but, you know, by police and citizens, you know, and you see a small, uh, I don't mean this to sound bad, but a small number end in 
violent confrontations, um, you know, for the most part, traffic stops are just that. You know, man, you you know, you are speeding, and then it's just a back and forth, and it's on the way. Um, but mm-hmm. if just to take it one step further to ensure that you feel comfortable, or any person of color feels comfortable, lower the windows, hands on the steering, just explain it. I, you know, my wallet's in my back pocket. Okay. You know, I just want to let you know, I don't want you to be nervous. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not, I don't want to get hurt. Nope, nope, no problem, right? Now there's dialogue. Um, right. And that's the biggest thing we can have is dialogue. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. It's, uh, it's been crazy. I'm sure you heard about the, the guy in Virginia that was actually on the phone with 911. They said they thought it was a gun, so they, they shot him. Um, place. Yeah, I've heard I heard about it. I haven't really done a lot of research on it um, yeah. because um, I, I I'm reviewing some other cases. But I I heard he was on the phone with nine. He had just been dropped off by the officer, um, and then called nine one one to talk to the officer again. But I don't really know much about the details. Yeah. But exactly. I mean that shake it's just that right there, you shake your head, you know, and you right. gotta say what right. what happened? How did that exactly. happen? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt, no doubt. So it's uh it is definitely and and I totally agree that somebody I'm not saying that what happened was, was their fault. But a lot of times some things can be avoided, as you said, of hey, I'm not gonna get in a competition with a person of authority, and that's something. And Keith might even remember me saying this before when he was a player: is that do not get in an argument in public with a person of authority, because they're going to win every time, even if they're wrong. Just because they are a person of authority, they're not going to back down. And and that's just something just from a, even a coaching standpoint. I try to get my guys to understand: if you feel that you feel like you're right and he's wrong. Okay, it's yes, sir, at that particular time. Later on, um, for for the players, hey, go talk to Coach Ben Matt, Coach, I don't like the way such and such happened. As you said, you know, with, with uh, a, a traffic stop. Okay, that's fine. We'll handle it in court. But there's no use to try to get in that confrontation because you're going to lose that every time when you're dealing with somebody that's a person of authority. And, and, I think and, and you're right. You're absolutely right. You know, we talk about players, you know, challenging coaches, you know. Um, right. it, what's that? No, you good. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, you know, when you challenge, you know, your coach or authority, nothing good happens. And when you when you think about it, as an athlete, you're mad about what, you know, the coach said or did. And so right. your mindset is, you're not thinking with a clear mind. We know, mm-hmm. um, you know, logically you're thinking with your limbic system. Um, and now you push authority, your coach, a police officer, a teacher, you know, the, the, the principal, and they're going to come right back with their limbic response. And that's that immediate reaction, an emotional reaction, right? So I fire mm-hmm. off 
an emotional response, you fire off an emotional response, and what do we have? Conflict. Nothing gets solved. Take, take, Take yourself out of it for 20, 30 seconds, a minute, the end of practice, whatever it might be, and mm-hmm. now you go in with a clear mind and you're thinking with your frontal lobe, which is your rational thinking and your reasoning, and now you can have a discussion. Coach, I thought if we ran this, it would be more effective because I noticed, okay, well, you know, now coach isn't firing back. Everybody's talking in a civil manner, and we have dialogue. And that's why challenging authority never ends well. I don't care what profession, right. it never yep. ends well. I mean, you see it in uh, in basketball, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, some of the greatest coaches in the world have, right. you know, done that. Mm-hmm. So you're right. You're absolutely right. Okay. Okay. The um... – well, hey, Keith, you got any any other questions before we, we? Of course, we've gone over a little, but we're good because this is the yeah. I mean, season. obviously, I mean, we we get we could talk. I mean, obviously, you're you know. So I really appreciate you being on here. Been a wealth of knowledge, and I think that you know it's it's always you, we have to have these conversations, and and I'm sure mm-hmm. they're tough for you. I mean, this is a, a, a profession of yours that you said. You did for 35 years. I mean, you've seen it. I'm sure you've seen it all. I mean, to the point where, you know, in your last few years, you said the training and what you were in charge of. Obviously, I'm originally from Detroit. You being in Detroit, I know what that's like on a daily, nightly basis, being there, being in the thick of it. Because you're right. I mean, we're not we're not naive. to. Be, I'm not naive to believe that this is all just, you know, the police not doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? The streets can be very, very yep. tough and ruthless and unforgiving, right? Um, and so I get it. Um, but at the same time, you know, Coach Sands, you know, he's been a, a huge mentor of mine for a long time. He has sons and a daughter. I have sons and a daughter that are young. And, you know, just thinking about them being – in the car coming home from a high school football game or from a friend's house and you see these things that are taking place today, you know, um, you know, my faith in God forces me and, and what I truly lean on to believe that there's something that, that will transpire to make this better, whether I don't know what type of training or infrastructure that will be put forth where, I can lay down at night and not have to worry about my son pulling, being pulled over, having his hands on the steering wheel and his cell phone recording what's going on and it going a different direction, you know? So I I get that it's tough, but I I have to believe that, you know, um, change is going to come. So, you know, I appreciate you being on. I appreciate you answering some of these tough questions and, scenarios that we've uh that we asked you this evening well well thank you and i and i appreciate that and um let me just say one more thing i you know i understand um that you know there are concerns right now in society with law enforcement but i will tell you that nobody of any any background should have to put their head down at night and worry 
about what the police are going to do. Um, right. I, I my and, and I know um, you know all the officers I know um, feel the same way, but I do understand that there are some out there that may not. I would rather the good citizens feel protected and sleep peacefully at night because mm-hmm. I'm on the watch. I will defend right. them and protect them. And every person in this country has that right to feel that way. And nobody or nothing should make them feel differently. And it shouldn't be, well, you know, I have to worry about this or I have to worry about that um, because of all that should be, you know, in a perfect world, you wouldn't have to worry about that. Um, But change needs to happen. Change will happen. And I hope it's soon because, quite honestly, I want my children your children and the kids I see playing outside right now not to ever have to worry about policemen going to hurt me. Right. That should never be on their mind. So yep. I appreciate the, the time. I do definitely appreciate being on. Yes, sir. Hey, Phil, again, another great job. Appreciate it. Um, we're going to take a quick Thank break. You. Uh, yeah. You're going to be uh, around. We're playing ball this uh for homecoming this year, you gonna be in the Charleston area? The uh, I am definitely planning on coming down. Um, I know we got two homecomings this year, so I'm, I'm gonna try to get down there for both of them. And I think uh, I think it's like in November, so um, I'll be down there. I hope I can see you. Been too long. Definitely, definitely, definitely. So, but hey, we're gonna take a quick break. And we'll catch up in the back in a second. Take a quick break. Hold right. on.
Show. I got my co-host today, Mr. Keith Warren, and uh, we're going to finish up the day just talking a little bit about the draft again. We had a couple of great guests today. We had Coach Ed Steers just talking about life after sports. Um, and we had uh, Mr. Philip Du, who spent 35 years as a police officer and recently retired in, in February. And, uh, and now we get to talk a little more sports. First and foremost, one of the first receivers that's probably going to get picked does not look like your typical NFL receiver, Devontae Smith. Um, he's probably height-wise, he's, he's got some height on him, about 6'1", but he is not very big. Do you think this is going to change or the way that receivers are looked at um, or is he just a special circumstance? What do you think? Well, as a as a a guy that stands five foot six um, and played at all of 185 pounds at the Division One level, I like to believe that this is for new things to come in the NFL. But the truth of the matter is, I think he is just that special. He's that dynamic. Right. Um, but it goes to speak that, you know, it's not always about how how big you are. You know, it's not about how the, the size of the dog is fighting. It's the size of fighting the dog. And that's what he said in his interview. He made a comment today. Someone was talking to him. He said, mm-hmm. the last time I checked, football players weren't – they're not bodybuilders. They're football players. Right. And I think that if you have any doubt about what this dude is, I watched that national championship game where he made – the Ohio State University, who's going to probably put two two defensive backs in the league this year, he made them look like they played high school ball. I mean, he did right. whatever he wanted. At six foot, 166 pounds, I mean, that's impressive. I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to seeing where he ends up and how they use him and how they move him all over the field. And I think he's going to. I think he's going to do well. I think he's going to do well. The question is: Is, is he has, Does he have to be a slot receiver? Can he be a, a X or Z? Um, 
or do they have to put him at slot to sort of help him get off the line? Because being that small, you know, if those DBs get their hand on the corners get their hands on him, it might be a little tough for him to get off. Or do you think he is well, I'll that you, quick? Yeah. I'll give you an example, right? And we know that the game was much more physical from a corner perspective, that how they can get your hands on the receiver. Marvin Harrison. Right. Mm-hmm. He played the X and the Z. Similar size, right. six foot. He's probably 175, 180 pounds, so, you know, slightly bigger than him, but, you know, a Hall of Fame receiver, or to be a Hall of Fame receiver if he's not in already. I mean, yes, he had the luxury of playing with a guy like Peyton Manning, but, mm-hmm. I mean, Marvin was spectacular, and he played out on the outside where a corner could beat you up for five, seven yards yeah. down the field. You know, Ty Law mm-hmm. and had some battles, but I think now in this new NFL, you get a guy like Devontae Smith and you, you're playing him at an X or Z and he's off the ball, you can still, you can put him in motion, you can run whip routes with him, those long crossing routes, those deep over routes where he is able to utilize his speed. And then also, you know, just someone's going to get him and the the minds of these offensive coordinators are so creative. They're gonna uh, they're gonna find a way to get to use him to his best ability. So, I think he definitely can play on the outside. I think he will make the most of his living on the outside because when you it would be nice to put a guy like that in the slot, you know. Um, but I when I watch him play, that's not what he does well to me. I, I like him better running that yeah. 15 yard speed out, that 15 yard deep comeback, skinny post, that deep cross deep crossing route. I think those that's where he really flourishes. Yep, no doubt about it, no doubt. The um, now, and I was just just thinking, Green Bay. Mm-hmm. Right now, Devontae Adams, is, he he's that dude. He can play inside, he yeah. can play outside. But I don't know. Green Bay didn't really have another guy that was that versatile. You know, most of the guys mm-hmm. at Green Bay I thought were outside guys. Um, I know. By the time Green Bay gets a chance to pick, he can be way gone. But as a guy like um, Smith, one of the guys that you would love to see in, in across from a Devontae Adams. I mean, I'm sure Aaron Rodgers would love to see it, um, <laughs> and and I'm sure a lot of opposing defenses would hate to see it. But I think the Green Bay. And I'd love to ask Chad about this, but I, especially when they're in the war room on Thursday. But I, I, th- I think Green, Green Bay and a lot of teams who have quarterbacks like Tom Brady, like uh, Aaron Rodgers, right? You think of the same thing with Tom Brady when he was in New England. When you have a quarterback that, that he's that good, you believe that he right. can take a middle-of-the-road receiver. And because he's that good, he can – he can throw him open or throw him into a space or a spot and put him where he wants him to be, and you don't necessarily need multiple elite receivers. If you happen to find multiple elite receivers, like Tom Brady mm-hmm. stumbled upon all of the elite receivers in uh, Tampa Bay <laughs> this year, um, you see what you can get out of that. But I honestly think Green Bay is going to keep doing what they're doing, and that's that's trying to build some defense to be able to stop some teams versus, you know, I, I know people say he needs more weapons. He needs more weapons. Well, we saw Tom Brady win six Super Bowls with one weapon at the most. Um, 
Right. And that's, I don't think in, in today's NFL you can scheme weapons, but you got to be able you have to be able to have some defenders out there to some of these amazing talented people on the offensive side of the ball and uh, put your team right. in a position to win. Yeah, yeah. Now, just to yeah. switch gears a little bit before we finish up for the night, always the argument that I have with uh, a couple of my boys is what's the best conference? <laughs> and I'm an SEC guy. You know, I did spend a, I coached in the I coached in the ACC. You know, mm-hmm. coaching some of the the uh, uh, group of five, um, but I spent the majority of my time at FBS in the SEC, and I saw a lot, a lot of really, really good players. Yeah. And so, in the first round, the SEC is projecting to have like twelve guys. The next closest is the ACC with seven. The Big Ten is going to have five. The mm-hmm. Pac is going to have three, and then there's four from the other conferences. And the crazy thing with the Big Ten is there's two kids from Northwestern. So not yeah. even a quarter, yeah. you know, year and year uh, juggernauts. It's Northwestern that is leading the way in the Big Ten. <laughs> so. You gotta ask. I mean, is is, is it SEC? Um, is it ACC? Is it Big Ten? And one of my guys, my one of my one of my best friends and my son's godfather is like, the Big Ten's better than the SEC. I'm like, dude, you crazy. <laughs> but something he jumps on. So, what is, what is your yeah. thought? On that I mean, obviously, being a Midwest guy, being a, a Big Ten favorite with, with Michigan and watching and living in Columbus and seeing Ohio State as much as I do, I, 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 but I'm a love, I love football. I love everything about it from, from the aspects of the scouting to coaching to player development, the whole nine. Right. The boys down in the SEC, they are just different. They just are. They just <laughs> – I mean, you Ohio State. When when Ohio when you see Ohio State players here in Columbus, and you, we see them, there's a few a bunch of them that go to church with us that sit right there with us, and there's there's guys you see them out at the mall, the movies, you see them all over the place, whatever this and the other. I mean, they were like you like, oh yeah, he's definitely he might be a he's a football player. Oh, he looks like a football player. When you right. see them boys from LSU and Alabama and you, there is no question like. Oh, that I don't know what that is. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're just different. And when Alabama played Ohio State this year, and you saw those dudes standing next to each other, like in between plays and in timeouts, you saw a difference in right. what is being bred in that Alabama program. And that's not just at Alabama. That's at Georgia. That's at LSU. Mm-hmm. That's at Auburn. Heck, every now and then, you know, a couple other teams slide in there because there are so many dudes down there in the in the lower part of the state that they just stay there and they grow them different. They're built different. Um, now, don't get me wrong. The Midwest can they we produce some talent as well. We got kids that can run, that can run mm-hmm. run up here, right? But yep. the difference yep. is. For every one of those kids here in the Midwest, 
there's like five of them in the in the south you know mm-hmm. um and that's mm-hmm. the difference and that's why you know Clemson has been able to compete with Alabama because they've been able to dip into that into that pool a little bit that Alabama had on lock for so long but Alabama you you know every year Alabama's going to be there because they just they have different people well, you know I, now, I mean here's another thing. Here's another thing that I believe, um, Clemson-wise. Uh-huh. The, right now, the ACC isn't comparable to the SEC. Now, again, the argument no. is, well, in conference, everybody's compared to everybody else in the conference, and I, I sort of disagree um, there's a lot of good players um, in the ACC, SEC, Big Ten. I think mm-hmm. the difference, a- SEC-wise, is the O-line and the D-line. I think yeah. ACC got as skilled guys as, as everybody else. Big Ten, mm-hmm. but I think the O-line, D-line, the SEC, is a huge difference than the rest of the conference. Yeah. I agree. I agree 100%. I mean, you've coached football for a long time. I've played and been a part of it. I mean, we all know that you might have the number one running back coming out of college, coming out of high school, but if he, if he's playing behind some, some, some linemen that can't get it done, you may never hear about him again. Um, But that offensive line Yeah, no and I think Alabama has no. three guys on their offensive line this year that are, supposed to, that are projected to be picked in the first three rounds. I mean, it's you know it's a uh, it's crazy. Yeah. And, and you here. know, coach, one thing we didn't talk about was we talked mm-hmm. about um, Najee Harris, but we didn't talk about right. who will be the second running back taken in the NFL draft. Mm-hmm. As as both mm-hmm. of us being running backs and the lover of running the ball, I feel like we should touch on right. that before we end tonight. You know. Okay, so who do you think it's going to be? I really like uh, I really like Travis Etienne. You know, I, I Travis Etienne, and I get a lot of flack about this up here in Columbus again because of Ohio State, but he reminds me a lot of Ezekiel Elliott coming out of Ohio State. I feel like they they both have great uh, lower body. Uh, strength and acceleration, you know, they both were low 4-4 guys coming out. Um, they're both right around that 215, 220 size range. They both catch the ball pretty well out the backfield. Um, they've got really good lean to them. Um, and, you know, you can't, I mean, yeah, he played in the ACC, and it's, it's kind of slim, but you can't argue the numbers that he put up. I mean, numbers are numbers, no. right? Um huh. Think, so uh, I really ETN. like a couple of the guys from North Carolina, but ETN, in my opinion, I think whoever yeah. gets ETN and whoever gets Najee Harris, they are those are two guys that can carry you in the, those last mm-hmm. eight to six to eight games in the NFL when when the game changes from throwing the ball all over yeah. the place to physical smash mouth football. So whoever gets one, whoever gets those two guys, they're they're set up for a pretty good pretty good uh, future. To me, the difference between ETN and Ezekiel 
is I think Ezekiel is a more physical runner than Etienne. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Etienne in space, oh my goodness, he's electric. Um, yeah. But in that, I want to say it was the Ohio State game. They just clogged the middle up, and then they had to find mm-hmm. different ways to get Etienne involved in the offense. Um, which I think an Ezekiel Elliott would have kept pounding that thing and would end up breaking it. And I'm not saying Etienne can't do that, but I think his greatest asset is in space. And if you give yeah. him a little space, oh, but it's trouble. It's trouble for the opposing defense. Um, but I, I definitely agree with you that I think behind Najee Harris, that is the next best running back. Um, but but I, I will, if i got to compare him and Ezekiel Elliott, i got Ezekiel a little bit higher because I think he's more of a physical runner. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, watching Zeke in college, he was physical, but he was also really electric in space. And I think that that NFL yeah. game, he, I mean, it changed yep. his running style that he was like, you know what, I am just going to. And he, it, it kind of coined his, his whole little thing where he shows that mm-hmm. he's eaten. I mean, he is just – he is going to pound that. Um, and I exactly. think maybe ETN gets there. I don't know. I think it will be interesting. I, I would love to see mm-hmm. ETN fall to maybe the Dolphins and pair him up with Tua and maybe a, a top-flight receiver mm-hmm. and see what they can do down there. Uh, right. But I think you guys are – I know you you said the Steelers earlier. Uh, if the, if if the Steelers are able to grab Najee Harris as, as everyone is expecting, um, the Steelers will be yeah. right back in the AFC Championship race because that's why Ben had to throw the ball sixty times because they didn't believe in any of the running backs that they had to, to run the ball. Yeah. Put a boy back there like Najee. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's 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 his night. He he a different dude too now. I mean, he's I, a different I, dude. Yeah, he's a different dude, man. He's a different dude, and he is definitely definitely next level. And as you said, now he can he can run through the thickness. He can run outside. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can step up and pass protect. I mean, hey, he's gonna be he's gonna be something to keep your eye on. And, and again, for the Steelers. If we cannot throw the ball 60 times a game, we got a chance to win. But if we got to throw it 60 times a game, <laughs> not consistently. <laughs> That's just not who right. we are. Nah, so, nah. And, Tom, and Tomlin's going to get away from that. That's why I think I wouldn't be surprised to see the Steelers move up just to make sure they grab Najee. Right, right. Yeah. You know, because so, he, it, it, would, it changes things. They got to get back to what they were doing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's their identity. It's always been their identity. I mean, one is you think about the Steelers. They're the only team that has had three head coaches the last 50 years. That's it. That's that's crazy. Three head coaches that's in 50 years. In 50 years. I mean, since I, since I became a Steelers fan and, and I turned 50 this year, there's only been three head coaches. That's it. I mean, that's crazy. Cleveland Browns had three head coaches, you know, uh, the last five years. <laughs> facts. That's big facts yeah. right there. So yeah, yeah I mean, and I'm glad that they had a great year. 
uh, because Stump Mitchell is up there, and I'm definitely a big Stump yeah. fan. And he's got a couple of backs up there that are good ball players now. And oh yeah, no oh yeah, he got a Georgia boy. He got a Georgia boy up there, and yeah. Chubb. I tell you, man, yep. Chubb. In my opinion, Chubb is top five running back in the NFL, maybe top three oh, in my opinion. Down. So yeah. I like watching uh, Chubb run. That he's downhill right now, coming at you full speed. Yep, yep, and uh, so. he's a great. He's a great kid too. Because I had an opportunity to work uh, to do an internship with him a couple of years ago in 2019. So, but yeah, oh, nice, but I, nice. I, 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 hey. They, they're turning that corner. I'm anxious to see what Cleveland's going to do this year. You know, of course, being a Steeler fan, people are like, how can you be, a, how can you be rooting for Cleveland if you're a Steeler fan? Because my guy is there. That's why my guy is there. Yeah. And another guy. Yeah. At, hey, two of them. So of course, Green Bay's another team of mine. So hey, I got, I, I got to support my guys. So yeah, hey, I'm looking forward to seeing what they, what they're going to do. So. Man. It was great having you on. Um, I, I'm sure I'll, I'll shoot you a text here as things start unfolding in the NFL draft. Um, and sometime <laughs> soon, back on again so we can just talk a little bit more ball. All right? All right. Sounds good. I appreciate it, Coach. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. Hey, thanks for joining us. And everybody will be back next week. We'll have another great lineup for you. And uh, as it's starting to get warm, Makes me think of the song that we're getting ready to hear. Summer, summertime. Here it is, the groove slightly trans. Just a bit of a break from the norm Just a little something to break the monotony Of all that hardcore dance that has gotten to be a little bit out of control It's cool to dance, but what about a groove that soothes the move romance? Give me a soft, subtle mix And if it ain't broke, then don't try to fix it And think of the summers of the past Adjust the bass and let the alpine blast Pop in my CD and let me run around And put your car on cruise and lay back Cause it's summertime Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.